I'm Kate Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Welcome back to a very special edition of In AI We Trust. This week, we will introduce you to someone who needs no introduction, our new co-host, Kay Firth Butterfield of the World Economic Forum. Kay is a barrister, a former judge, professor, technologist, and entrepreneur. She has demonstrated a longtime commitment to exploring how humanity can equitably benefit from new technologies, especially artificial intelligence. She is head of AI and machine learning, as well as a member of the executive committee at the World Economic Forum, and one of the foremost experts on the governance of artificial intelligence. She co-founded AI Global, now the Responsible AI Institute, of which I'm also a proud board member, and was the world's first chief AI ethics officer in 2014. She is vice chair of the IEEE Global Initiative for Ethical Considerations in AI, and serves on the Polaris Council for the Government Accountability Office and the advisory board for UNESCO International Research Center on AI, as well as AI for All, a very laudable program that teaches computer science to young people in underserved populations. On top of all that, she holds advanced degrees in law and international relations and speaks to international audiences regularly on the many aspects of beneficial and challenging technical, economic, social changes arising out of artificial intelligence. She has been consistently recognized as a leading woman in AI since 2018 and has been featured in the New York Times as one of 10 women changing the landscape of leadership. Kay, we are so thrilled to have you on our show. I'm really honored and it's a great privilege to be with you, Miriam, and I just hope that I can live up to that introduction. Well, we have no doubt you've added so much gravitas and insight in each of the forum and uh, venues you've participated in. And so we are so very privileged to have you here on this topic, of which you're one of the foremost experts. <laughs> so, Kay, if you wouldn't mind starting us with how you landed in this space, you've had so many different hats as an entrepreneur, a barrister, a professor. How did you come into the space of responsible AI, and how is it something you've extensively focused on over the past eight years in your career? Yes, well, it seems like a strange thing to start one's life as a barrister, that's the wig and gown type of lawyer in the UK, and then progress through a career in law um, before finding that um, you are going to go and do something else. I suppose what I am doing is leading the way in having a number of careers within my lifetime. Uh, but it actually all really makes sense because I come from a starting point of wanting to help people. I went into law not to be a corporate lawyer, but to be a lawyer that looked after people, particularly human rights um, and uh, particularly children. And so I was um, always thinking about how can I make people's lives better? And um, along the way, I, was, uh, I started teaching uh, law and international relations and working on human trafficking and how we save human trafficking victims and how we think about the law that needs to be written in order to um, help uh, human trafficking victims. 
And so that found me writing a book um, about, about human rights and human trafficking and pondering the um, idea of if we had AI-enabled robot but were humanoid, could we actually stop um, the human trafficking trade? And um, this is considerably before um, Westworld. And um, and it just, I had always been interested in artificial intelligence and it just brought the two together. Hmm. And my thinking sort of spread from there. Um, I went back to college and did some, did some research on it and um, then was fortunate enough to be offered that job as the world's chief AI ethics officer. But, you know, it's all about all of the work that I do and the work that you're doing around unconscious bias um, at Equal AI and teaching people how to um, think about responsible AI. That's all really so that we can have a society that benefits from AI. So I think that passion to help people just felt follows as the golden golden thread throughout my career. What a perfect lens to approach AI as both a power tool to push us forward and help all of our efforts, but also with a uh, clear lens at some of the harms in our society that we need to uh, use AI to help and not perpetuate further. So I'm wondering, through your significant position at the World Economic Forum, how do you approach responsible AI? What's the focus of your work through WEF? Yes, certainly. So I've been at the forum for just over four years now, and I was appointed when we started the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. We now have 15 centers across the world. But the one that's sort of the mother center, if I can call it that, um, it is based in San Francisco. And um, the idea is that we think about governance um, in a continuum from, from self-governance right through to regulation of artificial intelligence so that we mitigate the negativities, but we actually expand the beneficial uses of AI. And um, what's so important important about our work is that, um, as you probably know, there are over 190 different um, sets of ethical principles around AI. But since I started, I have wanted to progress to how do you operationalize these principles? Let's not come up with more principles. Let's just operationalize them in various contexts. So in chatbots being used in healthcare, for example, or in uh, procurement of artificial intelligence by government or business. Um, so a wide variety of different use cases where governance is the important um, underpinning factor. I genuinely believe that we cannot do good with AI without first putting in that robust, responsible AI governance layer. 
Well, cheers to that. I certainly uh, second that. And I would love to hear more of your thoughts on, I know you've studied extensively, you've written several articles on what responsible governance looks like. What are a few steps you think are critical in launching such an effort and in supporting the ongoing responsible AI governance within a company? Yes, certainly. I I wrote recently in MIT, um, Sloan Review about the fact that I see, I think that companies should begin to see themselves as AI companies first and sectorial companies second. That probably sounds particularly odd, you know, so you're a healthcare company and you make vaccines and drugs and things like that. But so you just think about, okay, we're using AI and we're mainly using it in drug discovery. But actually, as AI grows in industry, it's actually going to be growing throughout the administration part of your company too. So you're probably going to start using um, AI for hiring, for example. You're going to use AI in your back office. You're going to use maybe facial recognition as part of that hiring process, or maybe you're using facial recognition to keep your employees safe. But all of those ways that you, different ways that you use AI, you will soon find you're using AI everywhere. And so then the benefits of AI come to your company, but also the possible negativities of the ways in which you're using AI come to your company. And that's really what you're going to have to watch for. You know, we talk about negativities, but you could say you probably need to watch out that what you're the way you're using AI isn't going to affect your relationship with your customers and therefore your brand. Um, But also, you might want to make sure that you're developing things that are developed in a responsible way, because otherwise you might find yourself the wrong side of of law. Or, um, or indeed creating um, applications using AI that um, are, end up being outlawed, for example. Well, you know, it's just amazing. So many of the things you are talking about are 100% consistent with what we've been talking about on this show. Uh, so it's wonderful that to have this reiterated by someone who's been so deep in this space as you have for the past almost decade. Uh, You know, one thing we always say is that most companies now are AI companies and need to prepare as such with a governance program, exactly as you've said. In the same way, they now know they need a cybersecurity program, they need a privacy framework, AI is the same. And for the four top reasons, uh, their employees don't want to work for a company that is not responsible in how they're using AI, putting it into the world, using it internally. Employees are our most valuable commodity in so many ways. We can't afford to lose them. Um, second, it, trust, something that you know you, you were alluding to there. You, we won't trust a company that's not using AI responsibly. And if you breach that trust that you've spent so much time building, how will you repair it? Um, it so it's also, I, I love that it's a consumer advantage. It's a market advantage. If you are thoughtful 
in how you are positioning your AI, how you are testing your AI, the more inclusive you are, the more audiences you have. Uh, so I love that it is a win for those who do this well. Um, and then there's always the legal argument where you landed as well on um, even if you didn't feel like doing this out of the goodness of your heart or for those other three important reasons, there's so much litigation that will be coming in the coming years, both based on the new laws we see on the horizon as well as those on the books. Um, yeah. And I wonder, given your international lens, what are some uh, expectations you have in terms of what the AI efforts do look like, will look like uh, across countries? What are some of the similarities that you think companies need to be preparing for in the global legal landscape? Yes, certainly. So if we just start with uh, human resources. So yesterday we um, actually released a paper which helps, is designed to help companies that are going to be using um, AI in recruiting um, to work out how to do that responsibly. And uh, we, this it comes at absolutely the right time, which is always good. Um, as we are looking at seeing Europe moving to say, uh, Using AI in hiring is a high-risk uh, use case. Um, as we are seeing here in the United States, the EEOC thinking about AI and its use in hiring. Uh, but also, we have been testing this um, to see whether the framework, whether our advice works, with over a thousand human resource professionals in Turkey where one of our uh, network centers exists. Uh, and um, also, you know, we work closely with India. So we see that in India, they're beginning to reflect some of the things that we're seeing in Europe. Um, I think that one of the, when we had GDPR, obviously a lot of countries adopted GDPR in one form or fashion. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of countries that are actually looking at looking to Europe and saying, as we followed with GDPR, even if we didn't call it GDPR, um, are we going to follow the way that, that um, the Europeans are thinking about artificial intelligence and regulation? Also, you know, we do a lot of work with um, the OECD and um, UNESCO and UNICEF. UNICEF just had its big conference around thinking about how you use AI wisely with children. And, um, and the, so did the Global Partnership on AI. So I think that uh, we are going to see across the world a lot of attempts at some form of regulation. And what we've tried to do at the forum is really sort of give countries and companies some ideas of how that might look. Do you actually need to legislate or can you actually ensure that companies are doing what you want of them um, through, for example, using your purchasing power in procurement? And with procure the procurement we work, we did, we started with the UK moved on to two countries in the Middle East, um, 
the United States, um, one of the departments, and uh, it's now being piloted in Chile and Brazil. And when thinking about working with the Japanese government, so it doesn't always have to be regulation. And I think we're seeing seeing various approaches around the world. But regardless, uh, wherever whatever jurisdiction your office is, you are going to have to see, you're going to see something, be it soft law or hard law, coming in the next couple of years. And thank you for making that distinction. Uh, I think it's really powerful to have your eye on both uh, those hard and soft regulations um, that we will be seeing more of in the coming years. You mentioned procurement. I think that's such an interesting area because it will take longer to get the regulations in place. But in the meantime, there's a huge power, not just in government for all industry, frankly, anybody who is uh, who has who's buying a contract, who's purchasing licensing AI, uh, has an opportunity to <clears throat> ensure that it is being produced, curated, uh, maintained in a responsible way. I would love to hear more about your work in that space to the extent that there are common threads that you can share. And I wonder to what extent do you need to tailor it to <clears throat> each country specifically, or are there really common themes across the globe in your work? I think there are common themes across the globe. Um, PwC did a great piece of work where they took all those 190 different um, ethical uh, frameworks, uh, principles, uh, and narrowed them down and said, are there any commonalities? Do we as human beings all believe in the same thing at all? And in fact, there were. Every one of those included things like fairness, inclusivity, diversity, accountability, transparency, using AI to benefit people and mitigating the negativities, robustness, security, safety of systems. So I think that there, there are commonalities that we all believe in, whether we legislate in the same way and around the same things is different, but those, those core values are, are common around the world. Well, it's reassuring to hear that your experience is that we have common values because I like to think that, but it's nice to know that given your extensive study, that is indeed the case. Um, and then back to the hard regulations you mentioned, you were talking about hiring as a high sensitivity area uh, under the EU lens of their AI trustworthy uh, framework. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts on the proposed AI legislation, trustworthy AI legislation uh, in the EU. Do you think that's the right approach? I think that it's the easiest approach um, because uh, it's, it's not going to be legislating on each particular use or application of AI. It's going to be, it's going to be talking about risk. Um, the, we've yet to see how it's actually going to, you know, the committees are just starting to think about how this is going to be. Um, I, it's, it's really hard to legislate specificities because by the time you have legislated those specificities, 
you've probably taken two or four years, depending upon which jurisdiction you, you live in, and then you've got hard law that's going to be tested by us lawyers, and I know you're a lawyer by background too, Miriam, you know, it's going to be tested by us for maybe 10 years at least, um, and somewhere along the line, you might want to amend it. That's why it's so difficult to legislate a really fast-moving technology like um, like AI, and probably why, despite being a lawyer, I tend to favour the more the more soft governance um, approaches. You know, we were talking about procurement, and you were rightly saying that you can use that and should use that in in um, in business as well. And I think one of the things that I I'm sad to see uh, in businesses is that they're not asking hard enough questions of suppliers. So there's this magic thing that's presented called AI, and you know you've got to buy it, but there are not sufficient people in the who are purchasing AI applications for their businesses asking sufficiently detailed questions. And you know when the software supplier comes back and says, oh, that's my IP. People are rarely going deeper. And I think that's partly because you were just seeing the development of chief AI officers. And this is a domain that needs its own type of officer. It's not a CTO or a CIO um, domain. And we are still not seeing enough uh, responsible AI officers coupled with the CAIO. And so we're not, and so companies are not set up for success to ask the right questions. That couldn't be better said. And my own bias, I think lawyers are a key ingredient in successful, responsible AI as well. We know how to negotiate contracts, we know how to mitigate risks, avoid harms, and yet it seems for the most part, we've been afraid to speak AI. Um, but I think that abstinence is not an option here. And I think going forward, lawyers have to look at contracts involving AI acquisitions and licensing as we do every other contract and understand that there will be risks and harms even if we started with the basics, even if your only question is, have you tested your AI system to ensure you're not discriminating against protected classes? Are you ensuring basic legal compliance? You're serving your company well because someone's going to be responsible for that discrimination that's identified down the road. And you are certainly better served ensuring that you've done your due diligence, again, as we do in every other area. Absolutely. I think that's such an important point because, you know, what we talk about it when we're thinking about AI product design at the very beginning is you can start with a diverse team, but that's true as well when you're buying it. Um, you, should, you need to bring to bear a diverse team of people who say the people who understand the technology and the people who are going to ask those hard and difficult questions. And that means the team um involved in the purchase of ai absolutely um and speaking of the hard and soft ways of, of regulating and mandating responsible ai i know one important path forward that you've launched at the world economic forum is the global ai alliance uh, can you tell us a little bit about why you launched that what can we expect to see from the alliance in the coming year yes we launched it really because there is so much good work like the work that you're doing, um, 
going on and yet there is not and everybody wants to help educate uh, lawmakers or um, technologists in companies or um, lawyers in companies or um, governments um, but there is there's not sufficient joined up thinking and knowing that each other exists so everybody's doing it a little bit piecemeal and so what we felt was the you know the world economic forum is very much a platform that welcomes everybody and so we felt it was important that we made sure that conversations were going on between people who are doing amazing work in in uh, governance be that soft or hard law um and uh and if there were people out there educating legislators in England, for example, uh, like the AI Institute there run by Darren Jones, they should know people who are educating um, legislators in India or South Africa or the United States. And so what we've done with the Global AI Action Alliance is effectively set up a tent and said, please come join come be in our tent to know one another and share your best practices. Such an important function. You're right there. Um, it's a small but mighty uh, world of responsible AI. There's For those who are awake to it, they know the importance. They know what is resting on us getting it right. The number of vulnerable populations who will be harmed at scale uh, if we don't get this right, the number of people who could be benefited if we do get this right. Uh, so what better than to connect those playing in this space, those who want to be in this space, so we can learn from each other. And, and speaking of broadening the tent, uh, changing gears a bit, as much as you are known for responsible AI governance, you are also known as somebody who advocates for other women. And you've recently written an article about uh, how to increase the number of women in the AI space, something we know that is a historical challenge, um, but needn't be. Uh, can you tell us about why we need women in the field? What should we do about this dilemma? Yes, sure. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about before, and that is we need to ensure that diverse voices are not lost as we develop AI. And, you know, one of the um, great pieces, one of the great pieces that we featured on the WEF's um, agenda blog recently was um, a voice from the Maori population in New Zealand where, um, you know, it, it showed us if we didn't already know that different populations think about the uses of AI and the way AI should be used so totally differently. And we have to ensure that everybody um, is a voice that is heard in this, in this area. So, you know, women are um, not, we're, you know, we're not a minority, we're actually the majority. And yet we aren't getting our voices heard. And what we know is that um, the, pe the people who create, mainly men, who create algorithms, bring their own prejudices and biases into um, the work that they, into the algorithms that we create. So actually the algorithms that are out there don't look like us women. They don't look like people of color. They don't look like many indigenous um, 
indigenous groups. They don't look like people in Africa or anywhere in the global south. And so it's not just important to bring women into this. It's actually really important to bring everybody into it. Um, and one of my other passions is that we can't let the global north dictate the way that AI is produced on behalf of the global south, because basically that's that's colonization by a different name, and we have to include all voices. So yes, I, it's, 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 as you can probably tell, it is a subject I'm really passionate about. And people will say to me, well, AK, you know, there aren't enough girls, they're not doing STEM, and so how can we fix this? And I think one of the ways that we can fix this is going back to those diverse teams. You need, you know, a lot of lawyers are women. So we can bring women into the equation that way. Um, when you're creating your team that's going to start with the product, which the algorithmic product, then you can bring social scientists, psychologists, sociologists, um, lawyers, technologists, all together so that actually the, the framing around those algorithms looks like the world as opposed to looking like um, mostly men. So true. We can definitely sense, feel, hear your enthusiasm, your passion for this, and we're so grateful for it. Uh, you, you couldn't have said it better that we need AI that is built by and for a broader cross-section of the population. Uh, the, the safest thing to do is make sure that you have a broader cross-section that's developing and testing your AI uh, to make sure that it's safe, to make sure that you're not harming them, to avoid litigation, to avoid uh, further discrimination. But again, it's a market advantage if you have included the global south in your framing of the problem, if you're in how you're addressing the problem, that's a huge market that that you can benefit and, and work with that you couldn't otherwise. You know, I, I don't think of this as people trying to be narrow minded. The, the, the challenges that we all can only imagine as broadly as our experience allows and that's going to necessarily have limitations, as you say, by gender, by geography, by age. Um, and, and so the more thoughtful we're being in how we're developing and testing our AI, the, the better each company that participates will prosper, the better off we will all be for it. Yeah, I think two things on that. You know, One of the things that I hate for is that if we are now all remote working, then maybe we can include then maybe we can include people from other jurisdictions or other geographies um, on our teams more easily. Um, and and I think the the other thing is you mentioned older people. Well, you know, many of us are going to be cared for shortly because I'm really old by <laughs> um, by robots, uh, AI enabled robots. And I'm not sure that I want those robots designed by somebody in their 20s without any impact, any input from me. So yes, you're absolutely right. We need the the all these different factors need to be brought in appropriately to the algorithm that's being designed. And you also bring up such an important point about our current state of affairs that we are 
so often uh, corresponding through technology. Um, that's a downside of COVID, but there is an upside that we have international conversations throughout our day that we could not otherwise. Earlier today, we had a session of our uh, badge program that we do in collaboration with the World Economic Forum on Responsible AI Governance. Uh, I'm sorry that we cannot do it in person at this time, on the other hand, there's no way we could get all our participants from California through Chicago, up and down the East Coast, over to London and across the globe on these calls monthly if we were trying to do it in person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. And yet it is that global conversation that is going to make this actually so much richer. Absolutely. And the other place that you've said we need to change our focus is in the ethics discussions. Uh, you've suggested that we should change our debate and there's a better approach. Please tell us more your thoughts on this. Well, that, that's probably just because obviously I spend a lot of time talking to both governments and, um, and businesses. And the word ethics worries people because, you know, first of all, they say, well, uh, who's ethics? And if you've done this work with these people over here who've got this set of ethics, maybe you can't, maybe it's not transferable to, to us. And so what I think is it really important, you know, is that first of all, we've moved to responsible AI or trustworthy AI. And so that's, that's a good move because I think it's more explanatory of the work that we actually do. Um, but, you know, I often find myself saying to procure, people procuring AI in government or um, companies, actually, you just don't want to buy new problems for your company. These are just problems that you're going to have to solve. And who amongst the people that your company employ, employs normally solves those problems. Let's bring them in, like we talked about lawyers earlier. Let's bring them in and let's, let's look at the problem and work out how you can solve it. Well, I, I hate to close out this conversation because I, I there's so much to learn. I'm enjoying it so much. And I just am so excited about all the conversations we have to together that we'll take on uh, with leading experts uh, across AI, across the globe, and learn more from them, share their insights. So uh, before we go, if you could share with us one really large point, um, you've worked with so many companies, countries, fora, uh, in addressing the challenges in realizing responsible, trustworthy AI. What do you think is the greatest challenge that we've had to date? And do you have any insights in, in how we can address that together? Yeah, I think that the greatest challenge I find at the moment is that global CEOs have got the idea now that they have to change and have sustainability and you know climate is at the forefront of their mind. Um, and it's taken a long time. What we need to do is to make sure that um, it doesn't take us so long to get responsible AI into their vocabulary because they are the people who need to sign off on having a chief responsible AI officer, for example. And if we don't, we, we, we are 
likely to undermine the successes either in someone's business or for society that we can get for AI. And so I think that that's one of the things that that we have to work on sooner rather than later, but also we see it amongst legislators. We need to help legislators understand much more what AI is, what it looks like, how its, how its impacts might be for good and how they might be for bad. So let me just take a very quick example. Um, the, the robotic dog, which is now um, patrolling um, in patrolling military bases, bases, and is um, and is uh, loaded with a gun, um, so that it can adequately patrol the military base. What could go wrong? What, what, we, want, <laughs> what we want to ensure is that that hardware doesn't make itself make its way from military to being on our streets uh, used by law enforcement, you know, because we see that happen all the time. But unless legislators understand what's going on there, then we're not going to get the right legislation. And and uh, it's, it's a problem that I think if we're not careful, we'll drive the baby of good out with the bad of the bathwater. Okay, I think that is a perfect place to land our conversation today with a fascinating example of a real life use of AI that is uh, so powerful uh, that needs to be ensured that we go about it in a responsible way uh, in how it's being conducted and how it is used downstream all the ways, all the reasons that we need to do this work and that we will have so many discussions in the coming year with other experts to help us understand what they're doing to manage their AI responsibly and what we can all do to support that effort. Super, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 